Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Paganini. Hey, Chuck. Thanks for bringing me here again. And some news for the audience is that oh. I no, will it's probably all good. be here again and again many times. So uh, thank you, Chuck, for the opportunity. Yeah, we've invited we've invited Lucas to come back as a regular. So uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Uh, quick shout out. We are uh, setting up the, the meetings, uh, calls. Um, we're going to go over career stuff. We're going to go over technical stuff. So uh, go sign up, topendevs.com slash sign up. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through m- most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. This week, we are going to be talking about Angular 15. And um, Lucas, you've, you've been spending a lot of time looking at Angular 15 and going over what's there. I'm, I'm curious as we kind of kick this off, what's the thing that gets you most excited? Because I, I remember like Angular 2 was a drastic change, right? And so mm-hmm. now we're at Angular 15 and it seems like these changes, they, they put nice stuff in, but it's not this massive move forward. So um, I'm God, curious. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No more that tombstones. Used, yeah. That used to be a, a huge problem um, in the earlier versions of the Angular framework. The Angular team used to push a lot of changes in new major mm-hmm. versions, and uh, developers got really angry at that. At the time, they were like, Angular is, cons- is always changing. Uh, you can never fully learn it because they're always changing everything. And well, to be honest, I don't fully agree with that. If I looking back, I don't think the framework changed too much, even in the earlier versions. I think you, I, I was able to keep up, and I didn't have to dedicate too much time for it, but it was an issue that a lot of developers brought up and the Angular team addressed that uh, really well in my conception. So they have been doing a very more, a much more granular work on the upgrades. So you see fewer features, but relevant features and getting more stable, more tests, making sure that uh, documentations are also uh, coming together with the new feature. So as soon as the feature is released, you already have docs for it. So those things got much, much better. So the Angular team is doing a great job there. And I like the question that you made. I thought you were, you were going to say, what are the changes? But you said, what is the one change that makes me the most excited? And I I have the answer for that. Um, And the answer is the Directive Composition API. This gets me very excited because this is something new. There were actually, um, I was recording a video just today about all the changes to Angular 15. It's probably like a 20-minute video when you finishes production and goes to YouTube. So if the audience wants to check it out, they can go to lucaspaganini.com slash angular15. But... uh, 
in this video, I went into almost all the changes. So I covered everything that I could. And in total, I would say that there are kind of like nine, nine changes. So uh -huh. many of those changes, they are just improvements on things that we already had before. Right. Or maybe quality of life improvements. So some things got a little bit easier. But the Directive Composition API is different because it's not an alternative way of doing something that we could already do before. This allows us to do something new, something that we simply could not do before. And so let's, let's get to what is exactly the problem that this solves, right? Okay, so in Angular, we have many ways to reuse code. We have components, directives, pipes, and modules. These are the primitives of Angular. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, when you want to reuse code and you create a directive, you want to use that directive in as many places as possible so that you don't repeat yourself. That was the purpose of why you created the directive, because you don't want to copy and paste code. Right. But there is a limitation to how you can use directives. And the limitation is it always needs to be used in a child element in the component template. So, for example, let's use the router link directive. So the mm -hmm. router link directive is the directive that allows you to connect to the Angular router and set up a click event so that when the user clicks on that element, it navigates to a specific page. Right. Okay. This router link directive, um, you can only apply that to child elements. So imagine that you have a component. Inside this component, you have a button or you have an anchor link. And right. then in those child elements, you add the router link directive. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you want to add the, the router link directive to the component host? So you don't want to add it to a child element. You want to add to the host element of your component. So let's say that you create a component called my custom button or my custom link. And you want to be able to add a link to this button. You don't want to create a new element. You just want to right. make this clickable. So far, we simply could not do that. The solution, uh, one of the cleanest solutions that is also not too clean, was to create a container element. So right. inside your component, you create a single element and you put everything in your template inside this element. And then you, you add the router link directive to this container element. Mm -hmm. This works, but you have another element. So imagine that you have your my custom button component. Instead of just saying my custom button and then the click me, you would have my custom button. Inside of it, you would have another button element and then the text written click me. So you need to right. add another element, another complexity. And sometimes you also need to change some things in the CSS to, to adapt to the fact that you now have another element. I don't know. Nested divs are magical. So. <laughs> they, do, they do fix a lot of, a lot of problems. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, I I have to say I fixed many problems with nested divs. Uh, but Did I close that one? <laughs> That's always my issue. <laughs> you, you know, you have eight closed div tags, right? And it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. VS Code, help me out. Anyway. <laughs> Very easy to get lost. Um, and the problem with that is it, it's so it's such a bad feeling because you know that it is possible to use the router and right. redirect it. Because your component is a child to mm -hmm. another component. So to another component, yeah. your component is just a child. And in well, this and it's a natural place to put it is just yeah. at the top level at of that top. component. Exactly. So if you are adding the directive from outside of your component, you can do it. But if you're trying to add it from inside, you can't. So it, it that was very weird because it seemed logical that we should be able to do that because the Angular framework allows us to do that from outside. So why is it so hard to do it from inside? Well, right. turns out that it's actually pretty hard because the way that the Angular compiler works, it, it wouldn't really allow you to add directives to the component from inside just because of the order that it creates the objects and instantiates the directives and configures the dependency injector. So I know that I'm just throwing a lot of hard terms here, but that's exactly it. Like the mm -hmm. Angular developers that are using the framework, they don't understand the complexity of this issue, but internally right. it's actually very complex. It's very difficult for the Angular team to make sure that directives can be applied to the component host from inside the component just because the compiler wasn't made to allow that. Right. But now we can. Now well, and, and, we can. And that's the beauty of it, right, is that I don't want to have to think about the complexity inside of how this all works, right? Um, now, I may be interested, I may go do it on my own, but if I'm if I'm building an Angular app, I don't want to have to worry about it. I don't want to have to think about it, and I don't want to have to, you know, because because I'm the kind of programmer, I'm I'm a little lazy, I'll admit it. Um, where I just, you know, I want to just kind of do it the natural way and not think about it. And so over and over again, what would happen is I'd be putting these directives on a child component, and then it would barf on me, and I'd be, oh yeah, I gotta put the container thing, okay. Right. And then I'd go do it again. And and then so, yeah, so it would be an interruption for me in my workflow. And so that's exciting to me. Right. Is it's like, oh, now I can do this how I would just kind of naturally flow into it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you do need a different syntax to do it just because the component host element doesn't exist in your template. Right. So, for example, mm -hmm. when you're defining the template of your component, you're not seeing the actual host element because you're just right. writing the template that is going to go inside the host element. Mm -hmm. So for you to add it, add the directives to the host component element, there needs to be a different syntax. And the syntax is to do it in the component declarator. So what they did is they added a new property to the component declarator called host directives. This property takes an array of all the directives that you want to apply to your component element host. So now, if we want to have our my custom button component, if we want to make it clickable, 
without adding a container element, we can do so by using the host directives property. And that takes an array. So in that array, you set the router link directive in it. And now your component is going to extend all the behaviors of the router link directive. But it's not going to extend the class. So we're not talking about um, object inheritance. It's not um, mm -hmm. class extends another class. It's not that. It's more of a mixing. So for those of you that are more familiar with mixings in object-oriented programming, it's more about that. So it's going to apply all right. the objects as a mixing, and then you get the functionalities of the directives in your component host. That's the idea. And this array can take as many directives as you want. So if you want to have a component where the host element applies 10 directives, no problem. I mean, <laughs> besides the performance problem that you can have. So if you have a component right. that will be rendered multiple times, like the Angular docs give the example of checkbox. So if you if you're applying a lot of directives to a checkbox and you're going to render a thousand checkboxes, then you might have a performance problem just because Angular will instantiate a new object for each of those directives and another object for the component. So for every component, it's a lot of objects, but you will have to really use a lot to extrapolate the memory limit. So it shouldn't be a problem to most people. And, Very cool. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we get to what are the constraints? What are the things that we need to obey so that this works? There's just one rule, which is that the directive that you are applying needs to be standalone. Your component, the one that is receiving the directive, doesn't have to be standalone. Your component does not have to be standalone. But the directives that you're applying to your component need to be standalone. Otherwise, this will not work. So that's the constraint. But I think it's uh, it's tolerable. <laughs> I think this is a fine constraint for the functionalities that we got. So I'm very excited about this feature. I think that this allows us, as Angular developers, to reuse a lot more code. To me, this is kind of like the inject function in Angular 14. So Angular 14, everybody was excited about standalone components. I was like, that's cool, but we could already do it with ng-modules. But in Angular 14, they introduced the inject function, which allows us to do uh -huh. a, lot new, a lot more new things with functional programming in Angular. This is similar. This is something that we couldn't do before. So that, that excites me a lot. What do you think about this functionality, Chuck. Are you gonna refactor I, too much of your code base? I, right. No. I uh, my philosophy on a lot of the refactoring and stuff is, if I wind up working on that code, then I'll refactor that code. Um, if, otherwise, if if it's working, yeah, I tend to just leave it alone. Um, you know, eventually, I may wind up seeing some major issues with consistency in the code. And so then I'll go on a refactor binge, but yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But going forward, I think this just makes a lot of the the code just seamless to me. Yeah. So what what one thing that I'm wondering though is like, 
do I have to do anything with my code to do this? Like, is there any extra setup or anything else that I have to do in order to make these work? Because it sounded like the syntax was just slightly different. No, um, it's just that, well, you wouldn't have to change our code to use it. The syntax is different, but you didn't have this functionality before, so it's not right. like we're changing to obey to a new syntax because mm -hmm. the syntax didn't exist. But uh, the syntax is just when you are applying directives to child elements, you're going to do it the same way that you always did, which is right. defined in the template of your component. Mm -hmm. But if you're applying to the component host, then you do it in the class definition on TypeScript, not the HTML file. You do it okay. in the TypeScript file. In the component decorator, there will be a property called host directives. And this takes an array of all the directives that you want to apply. Okay. Um, also important to note that you can't apply directives to your host component dynamically. They are statically applied. So they are defined at compile time. So you can't just use the Angular renderer or something like that to apply those directives later on. But other than that, you can do so. Right. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> You're definitely so, a better person than me, Chuck, because when I see things that I'm so excited about, like this one, I I I get very excited about the feature and I tend to go on a refactoring spree. I I would like to control my, <laughs> my urges more, but sometimes I just can't. Oh, it's not me controlling my urges. Did I mention I'm lazy? Um, I don't take that. You're too busy to be lazy. Maybe I'm too busy and that's why I'm lazy. I don't, I don't, I don't have time to go and <laughs> sort through all this stuff. But yeah. So what, what else is coming in Angular 15 that, that people should know about? Uh, I mean, this is the one that you're excited about. Maybe there's yeah. one that you think is going to impact people the most or, you know, is the most important one for people to know about. Okay. Um, well, for beginners, there was a nice change. It's a small change, but for beginners, I think it's going to be very appreciated, which is that some of the configuration files were removed from view. So, for example... When you do NGNU and you start a new Angular application from scratch, there are many files that are created. And as a beginner, when you're just learning about the framework, that can be a lot of overhead. You can look at that and be like, damn, that's a lot. Let me go back to React. So they wanted to make this process easier. Just It's just the initial feeling. When you open it up and you look at the files and you actually feel like you know what they do, that is important. The Angular team understood that, and they removed a lot of the configuration files from Vue to simplify that. So they already had the Angular JSON, which is uh, mm -hmm. where we specify a lot of the configuration options for the build processes in the Angular CLI. So they decided to move more configurations to the Angular JSON and remove unnecessary files. For example, the polyfills file doesn't exist anymore. Now the polyfills can be defined inside AngularJSON. The test file, test.ts file, the one that configures mm -hmm. the testing environment doesn't exist anymore. Um, Karma configure also doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the browsers list RC, which defines the list of browsers that should be supported, uh, also doesn't come by default. 
And even the environments folder was deleted. The one where you have the development environment and the prod environment, even that one was deleted. And the reason why they deleted those specific files is because they ran some researches and they understood that most Angular developers don't ever make any changes to those files. So uh -huh. there's no reason to show them to us because the idea is that we can edit them, make changes. But if we're not making right. changes, then there's no reason. But the functionalities are still available. You can still do everything that you could do before. It's just that by default, they are not visible to you. But the environments folder, for example, if you need to have multiple different environments and do a file replacement to switch mm -hmm. from the development to the to prod, then you can still do that. You will have to right. change the Angular JSON configuration and add the files. They don't come by default, but the functionality is still there. You just don't see it, so that is not a burden for new developers. Right. I like that because, I mean, to be honest, you know, I've, I've written some Angular, but it's not the thing that I'm working in day in and day out. And so anything that I don't have to think about, right, to get into Angular mode in my head, I mean, that's that's a win. That's awesome. Yep. I have to say I was a little bit skeptical just for one minute when they announced that because I was afraid that it would disincentivize developers from just playing around with the files and understanding what they do. But thinking about that later, I mean, I am a very specific case of a developer that makes changes to those files. But indeed, most developers don't ever make changes to them. And there's just no reason to make changes to them most of the time. So um, right. at the end, I, I agree. I think it was a, a good change, even for more experienced developers, just because it cleans the view. It, it just feels like your room is all cleaned up, all tidy mm -hmm. up, and you can go to work without all the mess of those files that you, they don't need to be there. So right. I like that. Um, there is another feature that I think will bring a lot of value to a lot of people. And it's very easy to use, very easy to use. Um, it, in, the, in the video that I recorded today, I, I created some categorizations of those features just to create the mental model of how to categorize them. And I created a category called easy wins. These are things that uh -huh. you got from the new version of the framework, and they're super easy to use. Uh, they are so easy to use that some of them, um, it's just you just upgrade to the new version and boom, it's there. You don't even have to change anything. But, nice. So like performance um, upgrades and stuff like that, right? Performance upgrades, uh, improvements to the language service. So for example, mm. the algorithm that uh, VS Code and other editors use to identify mm -hmm. things that can be automatically imported, that has improved right. too. Um, improved stack traces for debugging. So now when you get an error message from Angular, you don't get 100 lines of things that don't tell you anything. You only get lines of, of from the stack trace that actually tell you where you can find the error. So those things got better, and we didn't have to change anything in our code base to make them work. Uh, we can go back and talk about those in detail later because I think they're relevant. But there's one that I think is extremely valuable and it's related to image optimizations. So mm -hmm. it's 
I mean, we're all veterans in terms of web development at this point. There, we've been doing web development for so long that we all know best practices for a lot of cases. And to images, we know a lot. I've heard about thousand mm -hmm. different image optimizations and best practices using lossy or lossless compression algorithms, using formats that have uh, smaller file size. Like there are a lot of things that we can do to optimize images in our applications. And that's one thing that is very valuable to do because sometimes we get too concerned about the size of our JavaScript bundle, and then we forget that we are downloading <laughs> 4K ultra high resolution images. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is the price of JavaScript, but images also have a huge price, okay? So we, yeah. we also have to be very careful about their sizes. And Google has many projects going on, right? So. Besides right. the Angular team, they also have a team called Chrome Aurora. And this particular team is dedicated to make um, web experiences easier for the developers. So for developers that use frameworks, they want to make it easier for them to adapt to best practices, to mm -hmm. really make the web easier um, for the developers that are coding for it, and also better for the end user. So it should be easier for us to apply a lot of best practices that exist out there. And the Angular team and the Chrome Aurora team got together to discuss how they can apply this mission of Chrome Aurora to image optimizations mm -hmm. in Angular. So they got together and they thought about all the different image optimization strategies that exist. Um, why developers are not applying those optimizations, even though they're already fully supported by browsers, uh, even though there's a lot of articles, there's a lot of content about them, it's already public knowledge. Why aren't developers are applying those best practices everywhere to image optimizations? And if we talk about the some examples of things that we can do to optimize images, I think the audience is going to agree that it's not hard to do. It's just annoying. Right. We don't do it just because sometimes we forget. And sometimes it's just, we're just coding so fast. We're just putting out our yep. features that we're like, oh, forgot to do this. Oh, oh yeah, it, it's kind of annoying to do that. So I'll, I'll leave to do that afterwards and then you never do it. Yeah, so, my application performance measurement tool you know, so whether you're using, I don't know, Scout or New Relic or whatever, it's telling me this page is slow. I go look up the Lighthouse score. It says, you've got a big honking image in here, right? And it's like, oh, well, it's not that big on the screen. Yeah, this is what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I yeah. need to go make a smaller version of it. But, you know, I'm not the Photoshop dude and I don't want to be. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So... So yeah, so somebody's got to do it or I can use like Cloudinary or something. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. 
And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. If you're not already using one of those CDNs that give Mm -hmm. you image transformations, then it gets harder. It's like sometimes you don't even know if you can change that image to a smaller size because Mm -hmm. you... If your business depends too much on the on looking premium and the sharpness and quality of the images are are super important, uh, maybe maybe you can feel like oh uh, let me leave that to somebody else even though it's just getting mm-hmm. the the image smaller maybe it's going to pixelate right. a little bit so let me leave that to somebody else so you can you can have those. Uh, um, you can be afraid of committing those mistakes or maybe it's just because as we said you just forgot them so you're not even thinking about image optimizations it's not a hot trending topic people are not talking about it so you just forgot that you have to do them and they wanted to make it easier for us they wanted to make it that simple and hats off because dude these professionals are amazing. They were able to create something so easy to use and we can get so much value with very, very little configuration. It's amazing. When you have an image tag, you have to define the SRC attribute that points to the mm-hmm. URL of the image that you're going to download. Right. So what Angular did is they introduced the Angular image directive and the selector of the directive is the attribute ngsrc. So this little detail makes it super hard to use the directive. So in your image tags, the only thing that you have to do is instead of typing src in the attribute, you type ngsrc. Just that. Just by doing that, your image is now using the Angular image directive and some best practices for image optimizations will already be applied just by doing that. Oh, nice. So easy, right? 
that is very exciting for many developers that rely a lot on images. And what are those best practices that are, are applied automatically? So what we get is Angular will automatically lazy load non-critical images, and it will also it will also configure the loading property, which is another attribute that was added to the image tag uh, a while ago. And this attribute will make so that modern browsers automatically load those images only when they come close to the visible area. So the loading attribute is something that is native to browsers uh -huh. uh, that, that have support for it. And what they do is when you have this loading attribute set to lazy, then the browser is only going to download and load the image when it gets closer to the visible area so that you mm -hmm. don't make an eager download. But you can still change that. So if you want right. your image to be downloaded immediately, so for example, I want to use the Angular optimization uh, image directive, but I want to tell Angular that this image is actually critical, so it should be downloaded immediately. You can just set the loading attribute to eager, and then you will have some uh, best practices, and you will also still have the immediate download. So. This is very exciting. There are other optimizations that it does. Um, I dug deep into it to learn, but I have to say that I haven't used it yet. So I would like to use it more before talking more about the specific details in it. But when Angular can't automatically fix your problem, it gives you a warning so that you can fix it. So for example, if you set the width and height and they are not matching the aspect ratio of the original image. So for example, you have a 16 by nine image, but the width and height is a square. Then Angular is going to tell you that the image is going to be distorted. So you should fix that. Angular can't fix that for you, but you, you should fix that before your, your code goes into production. So this Angular image directive, very excited, very easy to use, and already gives us so much value. Yeah, I was looking at uh, a, an article by Minko Getchev, and uh, he mentioned in his article about this particular directive that Land's End put it in place, and they saw their LCP, which, um, just to give a little bit of background, if you've been mm -hmm. paying attention to Google's, what do they call them, the core web vitals? Uh, mm -hmm. LCP, the largest contentful paint, is one of theirs that they're measuring, and it actually affects your SEO. Um, he said in his article that it reduced their uh, largest contentful paint. They saw a 75% improvement in, yes. in Lighthouse on it just by using this directive, which for me is like, oh, easy win, right? I get better SEO. Uh, my boss is happier. It kind of does the right thing when I tell it to. And, you know, yeah, it seems like an easy one. This is one of those refactors that I might not be lazy on. I might just go do it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy win and it's a big win. So 75% yeah. is a lot for something as simple as that. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason why the audience shouldn't use this directive. They yep. could have an argument for not using it before because this was actually not introduced in Angular 15. It was introduced in 14.2. But back then, it was a developer preview. So it wasn't stable. Right. 
now fully stable, easy to use, um, big optimizations. We should all be using that for sure. Right. And then we have other easy wins as I briefly went over before. So the stack traces are better now. So especially if you that have a always lot of, helps. That always helps, especially with asynchronous code. Because mm -hmm. when you when you have a synchronous code, be it because of observables or because you're using promises, you get lost in all the stack traces right. from from zone JS because Angular needs to use zone JS to make sure that uh, it does automatically automatic change detection, but it also just screws up our stack traces. <laughs> so our stack traces become a mess. They have a lot of things from zone.js and mm -hmm. you can't really find the actual places in your code that cause the error because it's not right. like there's no chances of the error being in the source code of Angular. That, that can happen, but come on, like, do you really believe that if an error happened is because it's in the Angular framework and not in your code? Like most times it's in, in our code. It's our mistake. So removing the stack traces that are specific to the internals of Angular is only helpful to us because this, that's just noise. It's a lot of information that we don't have control because it's the internals of the framework. As you were saying before, this should be transparent. It should be like a black box. I don't care mm -hmm. how it works. I just need to understand the mental model of how to use it. And it should right. work, right? And if you don't care how the internals work, why would you want to see the internals in your stack trace when you get errors? There's no reason. So they remove that. When you get an error uh, from Angular, from your Angular application now, you're not going to see a hundred lines of stack trace with all the internals of Angular. You can still see that, but you also have a simplified view, which only contains the part of the stack trace that is inside your code, the parts of the code that you wrote or from libraries that you're using, but not from the Angular internals. So that makes it much easier to find exactly where the issue happened and fix it. And they want to improve that even more. They said that um, actually in the Angular launch event, I think it was uh, Minko Gechev who, who uh -huh. spoke about this part. And he said that they want to improve this even more. So they want in the future to also have a developer-friendly snippet that shows the line where the error happened, even when the error started in a template function. So even if the error oh, started wow. because you, you made a click event and this click event uh -huh. called a method in your component, they want to show the HTML line. So for example, right. tag button click event, this, this is the name uh -huh. of the method. So very, very easy to understand the whole stack trace and fix the bug. Right, so find out where right. it happened and fix it. So this is going to accelerate the debugging process for Angular developers worldwide. Very, very valuable. Mm. What else? Easy wins. The as I was saying, the import algorithm is now smarter in the language service. So when you're writing the component template, 
if you use another component in your template, but you haven't imported that component, the autocomplete now gives you a hint saying, hey, you're using this component, but you didn't import it in your module or in your standalone component yet. So uh, this is actually going to crash. <laughs> so it's not going to compile because you didn't import it. But I can import it for, for you. Do you want me to do that? And then you just click on a button mm -hmm. and your IDE will automatically import it for you. And it works with standalone components and with ng modules. So if you're in a standalone component, it's going to import in your standalone component. If your component is inside an ng module, it's going to add the import to the ng module where your component is declared. So very smart algorithm. Uh, I tested that, worked really well, and it identified the import very fast. So I was really surprised with that. A lot of easy wins for this version of the framework. This is what I like, Chuck. If, if we could yep. always have easy wins, I right. Would, I'm a very happy person. <laughs> yep. Well, There's and also, it doesn't seem like any of these are so involved that it's like, I've got to jump through all these hoops to get it, right? It, some of it's, yeah, the syntax isn't exactly what I would, you know, already have in my code, but the differences are minor enough to where, yeah, I, I look at it and go, okay. Exactly. It's more of a question of us getting more familiar with them, but super easy to use. Mm -hmm. We also have some exciting things going on. I can't say that we are ready to use what I'm about to say because it's still experimental, still, still just in developer preview. They're just testing it out, making sure that it works, expanding support, but very, very excited about ES build in Angular. Mm, yeah. Because right now they are using Webpack as the main engine. Yeah. And Angular is kind of like a car. I know that uh, I sound weird with this metaphor, but <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. You can get slightly better every year just by making a few adjustments to the engine, or you can be more aggressive. You can replace the whole engine. And right. that's, that is what they are doing. They are replacing Webpack with ESBuild. And for those of you that are not familiar with ESBuild, it is 10 to 100 times faster than Webpack, at least in the benchmarks that they show in their website, which might be a little biased, but it's still, I'm, you can't deny how fast it is. It's much, much right. faster than the alternatives. It, it was compared with Parcel, compared with Rollup, compared with all the other uh, module bundlers that we currently have, and it won in every single benchmark. So I'm very excited for that. If we can have a build process 10 to 100 times faster, I mean, that's crazy. Imagine the developer experience of you push a PR and your continuous integration actions run so right. fast that you get immediate feedback. That's amazing. So I'm very excited for that. Still experimental, but they're expanding support. They started to introduce ESBuild on Angular 14, but there were many features that were not there yet. For example, we didn't have support for file replacements, which is a 
huge deal breaker because a lot of Angular uh -huh. applications need file replacements to work. And it also didn't have support for watch mode, which is annoying because you want to just run it once and keep working on mm -hmm. your code base and see the changes um, immediately. You don't want to rerun the command every time. So now we have that. We have support for uh, SAS, SVG templates, watch mode, and also file replacement. So it's much easier now for us to try to use ESBuild and see if we like it than before, because before it might not work with all the requirements of our code base, but now the support is expanded. I would not be surprised, the way we're going, I would not be surprised if in Angular 16, they announced stable support for ESBuild, because they. I feel like they are really pushing this forward. This seems to be a very relevant, um, relevant performance gain for them. Imagine mm -hmm. you're a company like Google. Imagine how many projects are running on Angular. So right. if, you can, if you can improve the build process, make it run even two times or three times faster is already such yeah, a Yeah, you huge save thousands win. of computer hours. Thousands, exactly, exactly. And also not just computer hours, but developer hours because the price mm -hmm. of a developer, the hour of a developer is so expensive. You don't want them to oh, waste yeah. their time waiting to build. You know, when you... You make a change and you go get coffee because it takes so long. So you don't <laughs> want that. Yeah, or the XKCD where you see the guys sword fighting and then, you know, and mm -hmm. the boss walks in. What What's going on? Angular build. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> We're waiting for the build. Oh, okay. All good then. Yeah. <laughs> Just a normal day. So that's very yeah. exciting. Very, very exciting. Shout out to Mark Thompson. I invited him for the podcast. He's the one that talked about ES build in Angular in the Angular mm -hmm. launch event. So, Mark, come here to the podcast, man. Let's talk about it. Let's get deeper into it. I want to know how that's going. When can we expect a stable version of ES build? I'm excited for it. And, and also, right. how can we expect in reality? What are the actual performance improvements? Like, can we really expect 10 to 100 times improvements? How is that? Come on, Mark. But yeah, Chuck, so let's get to even more. There's a lot to talk about here. Um, dude, there, there are topics here that we could do a full podcast episode oh, yeah. just about them. A lot of things. A lot of things to come. Uh, a lot of things for the audience to stay tuned to the podcast so that they can hear us out when we get to get deeper into those features. But yeah, there are more exciting things we had improvements to standalone components and, well, standalone things <laughs> in general, because it's not just components that can be standalone directives, pipes, they can also be standalone. And what happened is that now it's official. Now it's official. Mm -hmm. Standalone components are officially stable. In version 14, a lot of developers decided to start using them, but they weren't stable yet. They were just in developer preview. Right. But now... They are officially stable. Uh, you can use it in production without uh, being afraid of your application breaking during deployment. It's also easier to generate standalone components from the CLI because when you do ng generate component, you can now use the dash dash standalone flag, which is already mm -hmm. going to take care of all the boilerplate of setting up a standalone component from scratch. And we also got some improvements in terms of tree shaking. 
talking specifically about the common module. So the common module is a module that I, to be honest, I don't even think about it. I just, for every module, for every component in my application, I just import the common module. Well, mm -hmm. why? Because it's very common. <laughs> and this is the module that exports NGF, NG4, the ACM right. pipe. So I generally always need that module. So I just import it everywhere. But you know what? Even though I almost always need the common module, I don't always need everything from Every the common part, module. Right. Exactly. And now Angular allows us to import individual parts of it. So if you just want the mm -hmm. NGF directive, you can import just that. If you just need NG4, you can import just that. Just need the async pipe, no problem. You can import just that. So that is an improvement to tree shaking because when Angular does the build process, it can remove unused code from your application. So if you never used the async pipe, then Angular can remove that from the final bundle as long as you import the individual parts, right? So if you import the whole common module, then I don't know if Angular will be able to remove the async pipe at the end. But if you just import NGF and NG4, then Angular is not going to include the async pipe because you didn't need right. that. So some performance improvements there. Um, and that's only possible because those directives and pipes were made standalone now. So they have mm -hmm. their standalone versions and now we can import them individually. What are nice. your thoughts on that, Chuck? What do you think about standalone components? Do you like them or do you rather use ng modules? Um, I, to be perfectly honest, I haven't done enough with them to really, you know, feel the difference, I guess. You're you're like me. I also don't don't yet feel enough of a difference. To me, it just feels like one less file. I still kind of like the mental model around ng modules. I feel like things get more scoped, but I might change. Um, people are pushing more and more to standalone components, so that might be the future. And if I see that most developers are using that, I would rather just use that too so that I don't make any confusions to them. So it's kind of like right. there's the personal preference, but also if everybody's doing something and you want to do it differently, then your personal preference is not enough to contradict everyone, right? Because you're going to change how everyone does it. So I might change it, but so far I'm still using NG modules. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, as long as you're communicating intent and you're consistent. Yeah. I don't know that it really matters. Agreed. I am interested in the functional APIs that we got for the router and HTTP client. So it's just an alternative syntax to doing something that we could already do before. But right. just like the problem that we had with the common module that we don't always want to import the whole thing, right. the same feeling happens with the HTTP client module. Sometimes you don't want the whole HTTP client module. And now we can import parts of it. We could already import parts of it before, but now that is made available in a cleaner API for us. So instead of us importing a lot of modules in the root app module, we can now use a, a function called provide HTTP client. And this function takes a lot of configurations. 
So it's a much cleaner API. You just call a function, provide some configurations, and this function mm -hmm. gives you back an array of all the providers that you need. And those providers are going to include the HTTP client. So just by calling this function, you already get the HTTP client available to your application, but you can also use that to configure interceptors. So instead of using uh, HTTP tokens to configure every single individual interceptor in your Angular application, you can just define those interceptors in this function. So it's much clearer. The whole logic gets centralized in a single place. You get type, type safety because the function ensures that you're calling it with the right type parameters. So I think that that is a win. Besides the cleaner API, I suspect we also get some benefits in tree shaking with that approach. But to be perfectly clear, I couldn't find an official reference for that, so I could be wrong here. But it seems logical to me that if I am defining the individual parts that I need instead of importing the whole module, it's, I probably get a smaller bundle size at the end. But right. I couldn't confirm that. That's nice. I personally like functional programming a lot. So every time that I can fix something with a simple function instead of declaring a whole class for it, I prefer that. I think it's easier to reason about, to write tasks, to explain that to other people, to follow the flow because classes is like you have methods in different places and maybe you're in line 300 and he calls a method on line 100. So a function is easier to follow. The structure is not that it's always linear, but it's easier to make it linear in a function. Right. So I like that. We can now also use functions in route guards. That's also really nice. That used to be a pain, a pain for mm -hmm. me, because sometimes the route guards that I want to declare is so simple that I'm like, really? I have to define a whole class for it? Maybe the guard is just, I have to make sure that the user is logged in. If the user is not logged in, then I don't want to activate this route. And then I have to create a class with a method called can activate that injects the login service to check if the user, I mean, that's so much complexity for a simple check. And now we can do all that with simple functions using what? The inject function. I told you that this thing is magical. So you can define a function. <laughs> if you need to inject something, you just call the inject function inside of your function. So now you can have route guards that are simple functions. So you can have, for example, a function that injects the login service, and then it returns a Boolean indicating if the user is logging in or not. And then that tells you, right. that tells the Angular router if it can activate the route or not. So much easier, much simpler. I like those functional APIs very much. Cool. Well, it sounds like there's and a whole bunch of stuff coming. Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot in this new version, a lot more coming. We we covered many, many topics here, Chuck. Um, uh -huh. The only things that we didn't cover are the breaking changes. So what are the things that would work in Angular 14 and don't work right. anymore in Angular 15? Uh, they are not many, but... Uh, I'll make an invite to the audience. Now, I also didn't cover the breaking changes in the video that I made. So, But what, what we did is we created a mind map 
mm-hmm. with everything that we discussed, all the different features of this new version of Angular. And in this mind map, you can also get the breaking changes in Angular version 15. So if you want to get this mind map for free, you can just go to lucaspaganini.com slash angular15. Mm-hmm. Uh, you subscribe to the newsletter, which helps us not depend too much on YouTube. And then you also get this awesome mind map with the extra information of the breaking changes that we got on Angular 15. And if you're going to subscribe, also subscribe to the Adventures in Angular podcast. So whatever you're listening to this podcast, are you listening to it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts? If you're not subscribed, then I don't know how you can keep it up because we're at more than 350 episodes. So (laughs) you got to subscribe to be notified. It's a lot. I get lost in it. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast too so that you always get a notification when we launch more content and keep you updated on everything that is new in the Angular world. Yep. And if you like this episode, let your friends know. All right. All right. I think that's all. Yeah, let's do some picks. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, The rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current, keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. So um, I'm going to pick a board game first. Um, the board game that I'm going to pick is actually a card game. It's called Zoo King. And it's pretty simple. You can play it in like a half hour. Um, I actually met the guy that designed it which is fun um i met him at the board game convention that i helped out at a few weeks ago um and uh yeah let me see if i can find it on board game geek but yeah effectively what you're doing is you're building a zoo and then um 
as you build out the zoo, eventually you get to the point where um, you start pulling up awards, and whoever wins three awards first wins the game. And uh, yeah, so you you put animals in your zoo, and they all have like different classifications. So some of them are going to be um, like they're endangered, or they're dangerous animals, or they're show animals, or um, and they all live in different habitats, right? So you have like uh, Arctic, and you have uh, water, and you've got desert, and you, you kind of get the idea, right? And so, and then you can also build venues. So you have like a, um, you know, basically different buildings. So you have like a restaurant or uh, an ice cream stand or stuff like that, right? And so, um, mm-hmm. you just basically take turns drawing cards and putting them into your, um, into your zoo, you know, or buying cards is is effectively what it is. But yeah, then as you build your zoo up, then you, um, you know, you get the awards and when you win three awards, you won. And it, it was relatively simple, went relatively fast. It was a lot of fun. Um, my kids liked it. The art is awesome in the game. Board game geek has a weight of 2.33. Um, but yeah, definitely worth picking up. Um, I'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes for this, but yeah, that that's a board game that we've we've enjoyed. Um, a few other things that I'm gonna just shout out about. Um, so I've been watching the World Cup. Uh, the U.S. advanced into the knockout round, um, so I'm looking forward to more matches from the USA. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen the USA go to the final, so. I don't, I don't know how high to get my hopes, um, but I do tend to root for a few other teams like England and uh, France, and um, I'm kind of halfway rooting for Argentina and Mexico. So anyway, um, great stuff. I think Brazil's in it. They usually put up a good team that's fun to watch. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I'm going to shout out about World Cup as well. Uh, as far as, uh, other things that I'm, I just want people to know about. So one of the things, one of the picks that I have, um, I was using Hey.com for my email. I had switched off of Google about a year ish ago. And, um, what I found was that none of the tools that I wanted to use would integrate with Hey. And I think some of that's just a function of them being rather new um, I think some of it's a function of the fact that they don't use IMAP, which allows them to put some really cool features in, right? Because anyway, um, but at the end of the day, it just got to the point where it was, um, it had a detrimental impact on my productivity. And so, um, I am pulling everything back over to, to Google mail because everything seems to play nicely there. And when you export your inbox, uh, there's an mbox file that you wind up with. And I found a Stack Overflow that basically tells you how to import your mbox into your Google because you can't just upload it and have Google do it because that would be easy. So uh, I'm going to pick Thunderbird just because Thunderbird is the way that I'm doing it. So you they have a plugin for Thunderbird that will import an mbox file. And then what you do is you copy 
or are you uh you drag and drop all of your emails up into your gmail and yeah it's been a little bit of a process because i had like twenty five thousand emails over the last year that i needed to move over but um i'm almost done with that process and it's been rather nice so then i guess people are probably wondering what tools i'm using right uh with google so um one of the tools is called Gmailius, and if you're doing any kind of routine outreach, uh, Gmailius allows you to um, automate a ton of stuff and uh, works really nicely to get a hold of people. I'm also using Pipedrive um, to kind of keep track of like uh, um, sales pipelines for sponsors and stuff like that. And so I'm going to pick that. And then um, the last thing that I'm going to do is I'm also just going to shout out and let people know that we are looking for hosts on some of the shows, um, looking for people to help with show notes and stuff like that. So if you want to help out with shows, donate a little bit of time and effort. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put up a page, uh, just scroll to the bottom and you'll see it, you know, where it says something like work with us or, you know, host a show or something like that. Um, and I'll have all the opportunities that I'm looking for there. Um, some of them are involved and involve you being on the show like this. And some of them are more like um, one of the things I've been working on. In fact, I'll just pick pick the tools I'm using with this too. So I'm putting together a directory of JavaScript resources. And I know that there are a couple out there that give you information on like NPM packages and you know allow you to kind of browse through all the information on them and their GitHub repos and stuff like that, which are nice, except that... Um, they're basically built off of the NPM API and database. And there's a lot of garbage in there. The other thing is, is that um, if I want to go in and like compare two of them or things like that, it just, it's hard to do. Um, I found a system called Brilliant Directories and it allows you to define your different listings. And then you can basically have people add stuff in uh, they do have an API, so I am looking at doing the NPM package sync thing, you know, so that all the NPM packages are listed there. But they're all going to be categorized, and we're going to give you the option to rate them and stuff like that, right? So that when you come in and instead of saying, okay, well, I'm looking at this package, what you're going to see is I'm looking for uh, express authentication system, right? And then it will list them all and you can sort them by uh, star rating and by how active the project is and stuff like that that make it easier for you to make the best decision you can. And then the other resources that I want to list in there are podcasts, YouTube channels, books, um, blogs, newsletters, conferences. And so if you're if you're working your learning journey, you know, I think I'm going to put Twitter accounts in there. Right. So who to follow on Twitter? Right. And so you can go and you can rate those as well. Right. So it's, hey, so and so's Twitter account is awesome to follow. And so I'm going to give it a five star rating. Well, if you have a bunch of people that do that, then they're going to come to the top. And that way, the people who are putting out consistently the best stuff will bubble up to the top and you'll be able to go find the best resources for all that stuff. So, yeah, Brilliant Directories is what I'm using there. And yeah, I'm probably going to put together some kind of plugin or something that works with it so that I can uh, import stuff because I want people to be able to search, right? 
Um, for example, if you wanted to go in and search for Angular 15, uh, right now I'm working on the JavaScript directory, but let's say you wanted to do that. So you search Angular 15, I would like it to show this episode, right? And not just show the podcast and that it talked about it, but that, you know, hey, there's this episode here. And if somebody else, you know, has another episode that's called What's New in Angular 15 or whatever, right, that it'll list those two. And so you can go listen to three or four podcast episodes, kind of get the best of what we all talked about, you know, in an hour or two in your car, and then you're you're good to go. So anyway, that that's one thing I'm putting together. It's going to be at javascriptpicks.com. Um, and on that one, you should be able to just go sign up and be able to immediately start adding resources. There's going to be a process to approve them on the back end. So you, you may add them and they may not show up right away. Um, and that's just to kind of help us deduplicate stuff and to make sure that the stuff that goes into the directory is high quality. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a learning kind of learning resource that a lot of community could, could use. And so once I have it figured out for the JavaScript community, then I'll probably be putting it together for the other shows, including this one, right? So then we'll have a Ruby directory and an Angular directory and a, you know, React directory and a machine learning directory. And that way you have things to work from if you want to get started in any of the areas that we cover on our shows. So anyway, that was very long-winded. But uh, those are the tools that I'm using and the things that I'm playing with right now. Uh, Lucas, do you have some picks? Yes. Okay. Um, let me give you two controversial picks. So I will pick Brazil and Argentina. So <laughs> I will pick uh, Argentina because I went on a trip there very recently. Love the country. They have this European vibe to the cities. Uh-huh. And but it's also much cheaper than going to Europe, you know, because I've been to yeah. Europe and it costed a lot more. So I really enjoyed <laughs> the time that I spent there. Um, I've been to two cities in Argentina, El Calafate and Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires being mm-hmm. the economic capital and El right. Calafate being the southest place or maybe not the southest one in the whole Argentina, but it's very, very in the south. So right. um, it's the region of Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of ice is very, very cold. So I even scaled up uh, a glacier, which is kind of like a mountain of ice cubes. It was really interesting. I did that with my family. It was a very, very nice trip. Totally recommend that. And for Brazil, I'm going to pick the soccer team because I'm from Brazil and we are we are great at football. Um, but, dude, this year, the Brazilian selection is so good. They are rocking it. It was the... We only had two official matches, matches uh-huh. and the uh, World Cup thus far. And they were very exciting. Like everybody was on the edge of their seats and they were like, oh, no, no, no. no." So it's so (laughs) fun. It's like this family. It's not even family reunion. It's like a country reunion because when there's a goal, you hear it everywhere. Like the whole country. It's so, it's so nice. Like the soccer culture is very strong here in Brazil. And it's definitely a big event for us. So I'm going to pick Brazil and 
Argentina. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's polemic. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, you mentioned the soccer culture. I lived in Italy for two years. And uh, one of the years I was there was when they did the UEFA uh, European Cup. And uh, Italy went to, they went all the way to the final. And I think they lost to France. It was in 2000. So it was, it was, it was a while ago. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it went down to penalty kicks at the semifinal. Uh, I think they played Netherlands. It, like I said, it's been like 20 years, so I may have uh -huh. the teams wrong. But anyway, um, so it was down to penalty kicks and we were walking home and we were literally the only people on the street. Right. Um, because everybody was watching the game. And <laughs> I remember um, people had their windows open because it was, you know, it was it was cool outside and, you know, it helped. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so whenever... Italy would kick and score, you would hear cheers just echo down the roads <laughs> in the city. And then when they miss or when, you know, Netherlands would, you know, score a goal, you would hear the groans echo down the street. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Um, and we, we were like a block away from home when the game got over and Italy won. Um, and it literally took us 20 minutes to get the, the other block to get home because people just flooded the streets. And so, um, yeah, I, I totally get the soccer culture cause the, the, <laughs> I, I've nice. seen it and it's, it's mm -hmm. fun. It's, it's so fun. Um, yes. the other thing is, is if soccer really isn't your sport, you know, I live here in the U S and so people are into like football and, mm -hmm. and baseball and stuff. And I just have to say, this was always a debate that my dad and I had. He's, he's like, how can you sit and watch soccer? Because they, you know, they only score like two goals in a game. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but every time that they, you know, they cross the ball in or, you know, or, you know, you see a close call or anything like that, you know, you're getting involved. And he's like, he's like, I just don't get it. I said, dad, you watch baseball, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like the pitcher's eyeing the batter. He's still eyeing the batter. He might throw the ball eventually. Oh, there he goes. There he goes. Action, action, action. Okay, we're going to sit here and we're going to watch paint dry again. Anyway, I just have to say, I really enjoy it. So uh, give it a shot. Nice, nice. You, you definitely have to have a very good TV plan or at least internet plan because we were like three seconds off. So we had three uh -huh. seconds of delay in that day because it was raining a lot here. Right. And we heard everybody else cheering and we knew there would be oh, no. before. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that. It's good if you don't want to have a heart attack, so at least you leave out the anxiety. You already know that it's going to have a go, but you lose. Right. It's a big spoiler. But yeah. That's fun. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I will just also put in here, maybe this is another pick, but here in the U.S., um, like I don't have an internet plan where I can watch the games live. And so I've just had to be real careful about not getting spoiled on the score. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can watch the replays for free on Tubi. That's T U B I. Um, and so that's what I've been doing is I just, I just watch them in the evening after I get done with work. And, uh, it's been pretty nice cause I just stream it and, you know, enjoy it. So, Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. 
Thanks for coming, Lucas. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, if anybody wants to follow me for more content, they can check out lucaspaganini.com. There you can have links for all my social media platforms. I post videos on YouTube. This is the platform where I'm most present in terms of educational content, but I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, also at Lucas Paganini. So yes, thank you for uh, for calling me to be a host in the show. I'm very flattered with the opportunity. I think this is a great show. I want to help make it even better. And yeah, I'm excited to be here in all episodes, meet all the awesome individuals that we bring up to talk about Angular and bring news to the audience every week, bringing something new, something of value mm -hmm. for all the Angular developers that they can actually apply in their day-to-day -day and see value from it. So, yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks for coming, folks. Until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.